The servant knew, but the head waiter had no idea. The groom, the bride's groom had no idea. They were on the end result of the blessing. They received the blessing because of the faith of Mary who placed her trust in her son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ became the solution which resulted in others being blessed. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Well, as we get ready to approach the new year, I can already see the balls beginning to roll about what kind of New Year's resolutions you all will try to accomplish in 2019. We always seem to find some opportunities to create these New Year's resolutions. We do that. Why? Because the reality is, is these are things that you and I can accomplish in our lives. Now, the reality is, is most of us don't hold on to those New Year's resolutions for long. But that doesn't negate the fact that we are able to do it. We just choose not to follow through and complete. I want you to think about this morning all of the things in your life that you do have the ability to change. Maybe today you're here and you think, well, my weight isn't what I want it to be. And so um, you could choose to change your habits which would affect most likely your weight. Maybe your finances aren't what you would like them to be, and if we're going to be honest, most of us, if we aren't happy with where we are financially, we could make some changes, we could manipulate some things and take away from this and sell this so that we could align ourselves so that our financial situations would be a little better than what they are. Maybe your life is out of balance. You, you find yourself working extremely too much and you're not spending time with the family and the children and with your wife, but with your parents, with, with the body of Christ. And maybe you're just so stretched thin that your life seems like it's in a chaotic spiral and you are completely out of balance. But the reality is, is you could choose to restructure your daily life, where you invest your time, your talent, and your energy so that you could have a healthier, balanced life. There are a lot of things in life that we can change. Would you not agree? But I want you to stop for a moment. And I want you to consider in your minds all of the things that you cannot change. Maybe you've gotten laid off from a job that you worked really hard at and you had no choice. Maybe you've received news from the doctor and you know that there is absolutely nothing that you can do in your own power to change it. Listen, you can't change the fact that you won't live on this earth forever. You will die unless Jesus returns before. You can't make everybody happy. You can't change what you did yesterday. It's done. You can't save your own soul. And you sure can't save the souls of those whom you love so dearly that have yet to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. No matter how hard you try. And listen, you can't change certain things in life. And the reality is, is because you don't have the power to change them. 
Today, as we look in the book of John, chapter 2, the wedding of Cana, I want you to see and understand this one simple truth. And that simple truth is that Jesus has the power to change. He has the power to change your circumstances, your situations. He has the power to overcome those things in which you absolutely have no ability in your own strength to change. And so as we walk through this passage, I want you to ask yourselves the question, what problem, what situation in my life not in your neighbor's life, not in your mom and your dad's, in your life, what situations, what problems exist that you do not have the ability to change? I want you to consider this in the famous words of Chuck Swindoll when he says, every problem in your life is an opportunity to prove God's power. So with that in mind, let's turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Uh, As I read this, there are three observations that I want you to notice from your text today. The first observation is, number one, is that we have the setting. Secondly, we have the situation. And thirdly, we have the solution. One and two are merely informational. The third point will be a little heavier as it becomes the transformational point in which we spend most of our time this morning. But let's begin by looking this morning at the setting. Beginning in verse 1, we read, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. I I want us to notice a few things about the setting. Notice with me, if you will, the period in which these things took place. We are told that it was the third day in which the event unfolded. There's nothing super spiritual about that. The reality is it's simply carrying us along. If you remember in chapter 1, he would continually say, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the final day in which we are presented was the day in which Jesus presented himself to Nathaniel as he saw him sitting under the tree And Nathanael began to follow him along with the other disciples. And so John is informing us that it's three days after his conversation with Nathanael. After Jesus calls his first disciples, with Nathanael being the last one to follow. We see that Jesus then takes them along to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now it may be important to note the location of this wedding. It may open up some doors for us to understand what's uh, happening so that we don't have to eisegete, read into the text, but really extract from the text what the context is telling us. Because this location is not far from where Jesus' hometown was, Nazareth. A matter of fact, it seems to be located only about 10 miles from their hometown, Cana of Galilee. The interesting thing about the distance from Cana to Nazareth and the fact that the guest list included Jesus, his disciples, and as well his mother may indicate that they were of close relationship by friendship or by family is the reason they're they're at this wedding. As I was driving in from the airport last night, I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, we typically don't attend weddings in which we don't know the people. Culture was a little different back then. But the reality is, is they were probably there because they knew the party in which we're getting married. And so now there was a celebration, 
a wedding celebration in this culture. And it's a big deal in this culture, these wedding celebrations. Jewish weddings were important. They were joyful occasions. And in the lives of the bride and groom, it was extended to not only their immediate family, but the celebration extended to their family outside and their community. And so here, Mary and Jesus and his disciples at that time were all there by way of invitation, most likely. That's the setting. So we have the setting for which we find our passage this morning, but secondly, we have the situation. This wasn't some ordinary situation that is about to arise It's a situation in which we find a huge problem that exists. It's a problem that, listen, could result in a breach of trust. It's a problem that would result in utter humiliation. And the biggest thing that we need to see and understand is that it's a problem that these people can't fix on their own. Listen, if you come today with a problem that you know you can't fix on your own, it's okay. Because Jesus can. The text says, verse 3, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Oh, no. They've run out of wine. doesn't seem like a big deal, honestly, does it? Okay, drink some sweet tea. All right? Doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but it was to them. Kossenberger, in his commentary on John, stated that running out of wine was considered to be a major social blunder. It would have been an insult since the host was responsible to provide the wedding guests with wine for seven days. And to top all of that off, there may have been legal obligation. These folks have a major problem. They have run out of the wine. The very element that is required. It, in that culture, wine was a symbol of joy and of celebration. It's not like they can run up to the wine shop and pick up a few more jugs. They are in absolute trouble. There's a major situation. And at the end of the day, the marriage is at risk. Mary sees this problem. And for some reason, the text doesn't tell us, but she steps in and tries to help out. Maybe it was a close friend of the family. Maybe even one of her hometown family members. Whatever the case, Mary is in a position in which she can see the problem and she desires to help, but she does not have the power to fix the problem. She's just aware that there is a problem that exists and she desires to help. Listen, this morning, as we come, you may not have a wine running out problem in your life, but we must consider the question, what major problems do exist in our life that you can't fix and that cause constant stress in your life? If you don't have any yet, praise the Lord, it's coming. Because it's life. It's life. It's just a matter of time. When we encounter a situation in life, no matter your age, life doesn't discriminate against your color, against your gender, against your age. Life is life. And we live in a fallen world where sin has impacted the environment in which we live. And given enough time, you will encounter a life problem which you cannot solve on your own. 
And that's what's happening here. They have a situation that can't be fixed. If it was something that could be fixed, well, we would fix it. Because that's what we do. We fix our problems. But the reality is the problem you come with this morning that maybe nobody absolutely has a clue about in your life can't be fixed by you. Because you don't have the power to change it. And so you come today with a heavy heart. You come wore out. You come stressed out. You come with the uncertainty of life. You're unsure about how you are going to continue in your life with this problem that exists. This problem that has taken absolute control of your life. And while running out of wine may not seem like a big problem, rather a simple problem to deal with compared to what you are dealing with, the reality still remains. You're just like Mary. You're unable to do it in your own strength. But notice what she does. She knows someone that can fix the problem. She knows a guy. (laughs) I'm not so sure I've told you lately, but if you come this morning and you have one of those situations, those problems that you can't deal with in your own abilities, in your own strength, I I want you to know I know a guy. He's the greatest of all physicians. This guy is the most wealthiest man to have ever existed. He has complete resources. He's the greatest encourager. He's the greatest comforter. And there is none like him that can change the impossible in your life or give you the ability to walk through that moment with joy and with peace and with comfort, knowing that you are okay, no matter the outcome. Oh, did I mention this guy? He obtains the greatest of all powers, and that's the power to change. This guy is Jesus. And Mary sees it. You know the old song, Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. She knew. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He's the guy. Jesus. We have the setting, we have the situation, the problem, and finally, thirdly, we have the solution. Mary knows and understands that her son, Jesus, has the ability. She knows the solution to the problem. Mary knows that Jesus Christ has the power to change the situation. Maybe she doesn't know how he's going to change it, but I can promise you she knows that he has the ability to change it. You have a problem. God wants you to know that Jesus is the solution. Verse 3 says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. For you and I, when we read this, we're like, dude, that was disrespectful. Right? 
I mean, could you imagine responding to your mother in that fashion? Think about it. Your mom comes up to you. She says, son, we got a problem. And you say, woman, where's my super suit? No, I'm just kidding. What does this have to do with us? You call your mom a woman and you liable to pick yourself up off the ground. This word rather in the culture establishes a polite distance. And the Greek word that's used here does not denote any disrespect. It was culturally appropriate to respond in this way. When Jen and I moved to Montana to pastor a church there a few years back, I'll never forget when we arrived, we got to know the people. And so we began to fellowship with the people and we began to have dinner with them in their homes. And uh, and I'll never forget. They responded to their parents differently than what we were taught in the South. And I'll never forget, I ain't going to say the gentleman's name, but he said so-and-so to his son, and his son said, what? And I cringed because it was completely disrespectful. Boy, when you saw your daddy, you better say yes, sir. But that wasn't their culture. Wasn't a big deal. And so they said, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. I told my kids, boy, that's a habit. You better not try to learn while we're here. Later in John nineteen twenty five to 27, we see a tender moment. There on the cross, it's not so tender for Christ. He's being crucified. He's being crucified for you and for me so that we might have life and life abundantly. And there on the cross... We see this very word used again, which shows that the word is not disrespectful. While hanging there, we are told that standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother was, we hear what he says to her when it says, Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, And said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. There's no disrespect in this language. Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. You see, she sees the solution to the problem. But at face value, it seems as if Christ has no desire to help or care to fix the situation at hand. Which is kind of a problem because He's the solution. Okay, they're out of wine. What's this have to do with us? While it's not a disrespectful statement... There may be a reality that Jesus here is issuing a fairly sharp rebuke to her, though. Because he says, my hour has not yet come. Remember, Jesus is all-knowing. He knows what she's asking. She just tells him the problem. She doesn't say, this is how we need to fix the problem. She simply presents the problem to the one who has the solution to fix the problem. And he knows what she's trying to communicate because he's a sovereign Christ. As we've seen in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 12 or 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here... We behold the glory of God 
in flesh, Jesus Christ, the all-knowing God. And here the mother is simply presenting the problem to him. And he simply says, my hour hasn't yet come. It's not time for my ministry to become public, mother. Because once it does, my hour of death is on its way to the cross. I have a purpose, and my purpose is to fulfill that which the Father has given me to do. And it's not the right time yet for that. So why are you asking me to make myself public and get ahead of timing of God? I love the heart of Jesus here. He, he still accomplished these things without making it public. Notice the relationship between mother and son. Now, when I read this, and you know, a lot of times I'll talk to my wife about the text, and I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? And we dialogue back and forth. And I love what this relationship looks like to me. Now, it could be completely erroneous, but the reality is his mother says, listen, they got a problem. And he says, what's that got to do with me? My time hasn't come. And I love how she responds. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, do it. Does that sound like a mother? Listen, it's Jesus. But it's still Jesus' mom. <laughs> right? He's fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, we can see the respect and honor that Jesus has for his mother and father. A matter of fact, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill the law. And the law, as we looked at in Sunday school this morning, was that you are to honor your mother and your father. And here I believe Jesus honors his mother. Notice she doesn't say, this is what you are to do, honey. This is how you can fix the, the problem. Honey, turn the water to wine so that they can have... That's not what she said. She said, there's a problem and you're the solution. Now do whatever he says do, folks. And then she's out of the picture. There's no wine left. The host will be humiliated. Fix the problem. She's showing confidence in Christ. She realizes that Jesus, listen, <laughs> this is important. For those, see, if you don't have any problems, it, it, this doesn't resonate with you. But when you do have a problem in your life that you can't fix, that's eating you alive, this will resonate with you. She realizes that Jesus will do what he thinks is best, not what she wants. I wonder how many of us want what we want in our problems, rather than trusting Christ, who has the power to change, who has the power to accomplish what he thinks is best in our lives. Can I ask you a true, real, heart-to-heart -heart question? If you were diagnosed with a terminal illness, would you ask to be healed? or for God's glory to be done through your life. You see, I think we, we need to be specific in our prayer request, because he says in his word to make known all of our requests to God. But it all boils down to the heart. Do we care more about what we want to accomplish? Right? I mean, I'm preaching this. I could be the one who gets this message from the doctor, right? I mean, there's probably not a day that goes by I don't think, boy, I could be walking around 
terminally ill and don't even know it yet. And I have seven children who I long to see grow up and marry godly men and have babies and grandkids. But the reality is, is at some point in my life, I will encounter a problem that I can't fix in my own. And I will have to trust that God knows what's best in my life and in the lives of my family. And that's what happens here. She just knows there's a problem. And she trusts that he's going to fix it. And he's going to do what's best. You have a problem. And you, like Mary, can't fix it. But what you can do is express your faith in him who has the power to change. And so we pray for people to come to Christ. We, we pray that, that God would remove hurtful situations in people's lives that we don't have the power to change. And we trust in him who does. You don't command Jesus to do it. You trust that he will and that he's able. And when and if he does, it will be the best timing for his glory and for his honor. So Jesus, not commanded to, steps in because he is the solution to the problem at hand. The text continues in verse 6. Now there were six stone water pots set for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Now what's the big deal with these water pots? I love how Jesus, he always has a greater purpose in solving a problem. The miracle isn't so much the act of seeing it take place, but it's typically a miracle with a message. There's usually an underlying message that comes along with the miracles in which Jesus do. Under the Jewish culture, jars were made of stone because they were made of stone, and stone was not in itself considered to contract uncleanness. And so the text tells us these were water pots set for the Jewish custom of purification. They they were in keeping with the cleansing rituals of the Jews. That's what they were for. They would have been used for washing their hands, the utensils, which in itself makes it unclean to me, but to them it wasn't. Mark 7, 1 to 3, we are reminded of the very idea. In verse 1, it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem, and they had seen that some of the disciples were eating their bread with impure hands. You see the legalism that's projected here? That is, they, they, they're unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they carefully washed their hands, thus observing the traditional laws of the elders. Jesus is about to take that which makes them clean and use it to bring about a miracle by the one that is only able to make one clean. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. I want to make a simple note here. Jesus is telling them what to do. They don't get to decide how it works. God in flesh is in charge here. And I know that there are many people in our culture that try to play God in their lives. They think that they can do whatever they want to get whatever they want, but it's God that says that we need to do 
what he says to do in order to fix our problems. And if you come today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you're not someone who is saved by grace through faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't get to decide how that works. Because Jesus tells you how it works. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He establishes the rules of salvation. And if you have a problem this morning and you're not saved, then your biggest problem is that you're not saved. And you don't get to determine how salvation takes place, just like they don't get to determine how the miracles unfolded. Because God is in control. God is always in control. He's in control of your situation and your family and your finances and your walk and in your life. And he's in control of every aspect of it. The reality is these people, while they may not have understood what's going on, they respond by faith in obedience. And the text says, so they filled them up to the realm. I love this. Fill up the pots. Okay, they fill up the pots. They didn't leave no, no, no gap, nothing. They, they filled them up to the brim. They left no room for anything. No, you can't add nothing. It's all water. You can't discard the miracle because somebody put something. There ain't enough room in there. Listen, this would have been not only enough to provide for this celebration today in which they had run out, but enough to continue through the entire seven-day celebration event. Listen, when God does something, when God does a miracle, when God takes care of your problem, He doesn't take care of it in part. If it's done in part, it's not done by God. God does things in complete fashion. When God heals people, He heals them completely. That's a miracle. So they filled them up. Verse 8, He said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to Him. They have no idea what's happening. At this point, we don't know of anything that's changed. They got buckets of water. They have no idea. They're simply obeying Christ because Mary said, do whatever he says do. He's fixing the problem and they are simply following the orders. Listen, many of our problems exist because we haven't followed the orders of God. Right? So many of the problems that exist that we are unable to change are a result many times of the way that we responded to the Word of God in our lives. But it's by God's grace that He can still change that situation. Listen, sometimes when God is working, it may not seem like He's doing anything. Here they followed the directions, but at this point we're not told anything's changed. They just, again, have buckets of water. Has their problem changed? Yeah, they just don't know it. So I want to tell you this morning, if you're facing a problem or a situation, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean God isn't working. And when he decides the appropriate time to reveal the miracle, he will. All you have to do is obey. 
because he has the power to change your situation, your problems. Verse 9, when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, we see it now, it's happened. And did not know where it came from. There's the, the privateness of this miracle. He didn't, listen, he's on, he's on the receiving end of the blessing. And he don't have a clue where it came from or what happened. He doesn't know that Jesus had just had these servants fill 150-ish gallons of water and has now made it turn to wine. When I was a young man, my dad used to make wine. He's not here, so I'll tell you that now. It was a process of fermentation. And it would be buried in the ground for a long time. And it wasn't until the process of fermentation took place that the wine became able to make one drunk. He had turned the water to wine in a matter of seconds. And he didn't even know where it came from. But the servant who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The miracle has now unfolded, and now the problem is resolved. And it was done in a private setting because his time had not yet come. The servant knew, but the head waiter had no idea. The groom, the bridegroom had no idea. They were on the end result of the blessing. They received the blessing because of the faith of Mary who placed her trust in her son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ became the solution which resulted in others being blessed. I wonder how many problems in our lives when we trust in Christ, when we are delivered through them, nobody may know, but some may be blessed as a result. One of the things that interests me is this reality of how Jesus has the power to change and how he's worked changing this water to wine. In the Greco-Roman world, And presumably in Palestine of Jesus' day, there were three kinds of wines that were used. First, there were fermented wines, which usually were mixed in the proportion of two or three parts of water to one wine. And then there was what they called new wine made of grape juice and you would say similar to cider, is not fermented. And then there's the third, a wine which by boiling the unfermented grape juice, the process of fermentation had been stopped and the formation of alcohol prevented. Let me say this. The process of fermentation is a result of the fall. You understand that? That's an important factor here. And I don't believe Jesus created a wine that was fermented. I think it was a good, sweet wine that was created perfectly by the God of the universe. 
as I studied this probably a year ago in detail, in my quiet time, I came across Psalms 60, verses 1 to 3, and I want you to make an observation with me from this. This is the text. Oh God, you have rejected us. You have broken us. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land quake and you have split it open. Heal its breaches for it totters. You have made your people experience hardship. But listen to this. You have given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. That seems simplistic. Nothing major there. But what this, I think we can assume, and my research that presents three types of wine in the culture, is that there is a wine that exists that does not make one drunk and stagger. Listen, this passage presumes that there is a wine that exists that doesn't make one stagger. And I just happen to believe that Jesus is able to turn water into unfermented wine that provided a great taste for its host and that it would not lead to drunkenness. People love using this verse to accept drinking. This verse has nothing, not absolutely nothing to do with giving you the approval to drink fermented wine that causes one to be drunk. In Psalm 60, it was a curse, a wine that caused one to stagger. Did you hear? Listen to the language of Psalm 60. You've rejected us. You've broken us. You made the land quake. You, you split. That's terror. That's bad. That's not good. You made your people experience hardship. And you've given us a wine to drink that makes us stagger. It has nothing to do with your approval of drinking wine. But what it does do. What it does show, and in the theological institute, they would say the pericope of the text is that God, that Christ is able to change your problems. He's able to take care of your situations if you will rely on Him. He is a God that can turn water to wine. He is a God that can turn death to life. He is a God that can bring about the power of Satan to God. And you can receive forgiveness for your sins who are set apart by faith in Him. That's what it shows. I'll tell you again, like I said in the last sermon that I preached about drinking, it is not wise for a follower of Jesus Christ to be drinking alcohol. And you can take that however you want. It is not wise for a man or woman of God who is under the authority of God's Word and who is under the inspiration and indwelling of the Spirit of God to drink alcohol. It is not wise. And you young people, boy, you better watch out because I can tell you, there have already been people who have left our church because I said it's not wise for Christians to drink. And it's a whole lot easier to leave and go on down the road, right, than to address it. They have a problem. And they don't want to solve their problem by trusting Christ. They want to do it in their own abilities. You see all these alcoholic beverage commercials on TV. They make it look so good, right? But what they don't show you 
are the abuse of husbands that exist. Who when they get drunk, they beat their wives and their children. They don't show you the cars collapsed. Where their kids have lost their life, never to be seen again because they wanted to drink a little alcohol. Oh, it won't bother you. Just, uh, just have a little bit. That's what they always say. It's not wise for you as a follower of Jesus Christ to drink wine. And I'm not your judge, but I will tell you it's not wise. And I will always tell you it is not wise. And I believe that here Christ can turn water to wine that's unfermented. Because I can't see Jesus, the perfect one, creating something that's a result of the fall. He doesn't need fermentation to make good wine. And verse 11 says, This is the beginning of the signs of Jesus that he did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Listen, to those that saw, they realized that he was God in flesh. And it was the text that tells us that after these things, the disciples believed. Listen, the problem that existed resulted in their belief. And I wonder how many problems exist in our life that when we trust in Christ and he takes care of the problem, that we can understand that God really exists. That God is able and intimate. Yes, he's transcendent. He's in heaven, but he's in a relationship with you and desires a personal, intimate relationship with you. And when you trust in Christ, he can take your problems and flip them on their heads. It's a miracle with the message. And the message is that Christ contains the power to change. Would you let him do that today? He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.